The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, you still ain't getting women? Really? Come on, son. You need to go to badboymembership.com and step up your game. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Mr. Locario, the bad boy of the dating game. And I'm telling you that if you really want to attract beautiful women, you need to go to badboymembership.com. This is where you get 45 through 90 minute step-by-step dating advice tutorials every month. Just sign up, follow the advice, and you'll get the woman you want. Go to badboymembership.com. That's badboymembership.com. Welcome to the Orange is the New Black Podcast. I'm your host, Ace Boogie, joined by my co-host, Zim. Zim, say what's up to the people. Hello, world. Just here sipping some juice. Chilling, chilling. So we haven't been um, here for a while. We had a string of amazing interviews. Definitely want to shout out um, to all of those guests who came on. TJ Husmanzada, Jeff Blake, the great Willie Anderson. Appreciate all of those guys coming on. But we wanted to come back and talk to you guys because it's been a while since you've heard from us individually in terms of us not doing an interview and stuff like that. So the first thing that I kind of wanted to talk about is you guys probably wondered, you guys interviewed these guys. How did you feel and what were some of your best moments from them? Um, I'll start off with Zim. What were what were some of your best uh, memories from those interviews and which ones did you kind of enjoy the most? My best, the best, I f- thought my favorite. Hey, Graham, what's up, bro? What's up, ben, uh, Bungle Fever? What's up, uh, KJ2K? Thanks for rocking with us this evening. But my my very best moment was 
I love the fact that Khalid Kareem interview, we had some real, real like intricate stuff that I think everyone, if you're listening to interviews or however, you could really just say like, man, they, these boys did their homework because it was one of those things when I hate when I hear somebody talk to somebody, but they don't really have knowledge on them and they're just going by hearsay. So I think me and Ace really did a really good job of like just trying to go back and get some information. Some of my favorite questions from that, I had it written down. Now, if, if I know you're going to ask it, I would have had it ready for you, but if you go back on that Khalid Kareem um, interview, and then after looking at the tape and looking at some stuff further, it now gave me more insight that, yeah, he's the fourth DN and he would suit every week. And I think that's a really important interview as time goes on throughout the season. I think that's one of the ones that you'll be like, damn, they they talked to him first. And I really like that one. The, the TJ Hushmanzada joint is just so real, I, I mean, uncensored. I had a talk with one of my guys when I first started this whole Bengals thing. I said, man, you think I should curse like on here? He was like, yeah, yeah. But I was like, man, it's a lot of kids and stuff that follow me and stuff. He was like, but I mean, you're so raw. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, it's a way I think I can still do it. The TJ Hushmanzada interview is everything that I ever thought that I would do, like starting out, like doing this whole Bengals thing is like, that's that's exactly what I always wanted to do. Like uncensored talks with the players, just getting a real no sugar coat, no no cap, no none of that plastic stuff that you get in the gym. I mean, as a player, you have to do that because people will try to beat you into questions all day. But I just like the fact that TJ Hushmanzada is not currently playing in the NFL, so he's one of those guys that's going to do what he wants to do. If you want to hear like a real interview, real answers, no hesitation. Straight rapid fire, like let's go, fellas. Like that's a good interview. What what what's some of your favorite ones? I think one thing that you brought up that I agree with is the Khalil Kareem. I think that that was a great interview just to see his reactions from things that we knew about. Like he had he had even said, like you said, these boys did their research. That was a great um, interview to have and a great connection to establish because, like you said, if he takes off, the sky's the limit for him. I also agree with you on the TJ interview. I mean, like. To actually, like, I was almost kind of starstruck. And it was like TJ was a great dude and was so personable that he kind of calmed us down and just, well, not not you, but he calmed me down and was just like, you know, this is cool. It was just like I was talking to one of my friends or something like that. And to, to not only see that side of him, for him to give us that honesty, like you said, that's something that's missing from interviews, I feel like, these days because there's only certain things that they can say. But we found out about what happened in the locker room in 2005. Like that is something that people have been scared to talk about for a while. But the fact that he was so open and honest about it was so dope. And then the fact that you got to see more of TJ the person. So not only do you connect with him as the player, you get to kind of hear his story and see how important this phase of his life is with him being a father, with him, you know, being working with Ross and having that faith in Ross and giving us those insights into it. So that was dope. Um, Jeff Blake, I love that interview. Like Jeff Blake, to me, it captured, it captured that whole, that whole, I guess, era of how Jeff Blake was done. And, you know, it left me when I did my research, you know, being a young guy at the time, I wasn't up to, um, obviously I knew who Jeff Blake was, but I wasn't aware on a level of football as I am now with what his situation was and how wrong he was done in that situation. And you could mm-hmm. see it. And I, I really wanted to kind of lift him up to let him know, like, the city Shout loves you, man. Like, 
Shout, Shout out, out to, to Jeff, Jeff Blake for sure. I, like, I hit him up the other day, and do you know the be- the most beautiful thing about that? I could actually say, hey, like, hey, Jeff, like, how's how's everything going? How's it? like from that? Like, I I can talk to Jeff Blake. That's cool as hell to me. I don't know. I'm still a fan. <laughs> right, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go any further, I was going to say this, but Manista Keb beat me to it. Shout out to my man Ace with the fresh shape up, fresh out of quarantine. This is how you know America is back. America's back. My man Ace got the fresh shape up. Can we get a live wave check possibly before the show is over? Oh, yeah. Live definitely. wave check? It was now nah, I will say everybody that's talking about they can't wait to, to get out to these barbershops. Let me tell you about my experience. So barbershops open. I want to say it was like last week. And I was thinking about it, like my barber hit me up. I've been trying to kind of grow my facial hair out a little bit because I'm since I'm at work, most of the time they don't let me do it. So I'm doing that. But I decided, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll take the chance and go and, and see what this barbershop thing is about. So I go to my barbershop and <laughs> as, as soon as you walk in, it's like weird because it's like, all right, there's these social distancing things in effect. But how can you really comply with it? Because it's a barbershop. And so when you come in or when I went in. Um, the seats were turned up on side on side of each oh, other, so you couldn't sit down, which made sense because you can't have people just sitting there waiting and not social distancing. And so I get there, and then my barber tells me to wait outside and that he's going to text me. Wait outside? Tells me to wait outside. So I go back to the car, and he's like, I'm going to text you when it's, when it's time. He says, all right, it's good. It's your time. I'm like, all right, cool. So I got hand sanitizer on me. I'm taking Lysol wipes out and touching the door because I'm like, I don't really think these guys are really abiding by the the actual social distancing protocols. So I get in there and the first thing that makes me uncomfortable is I'm assuming that you would have a whole bunch of like you're going to actually be showing your clients. I'm cleaning these clippers. I'm putting a new thing on you. I'm spraying it down with Lysol. There was none of that. There was none of that. So that made it somewhat a regular, a regular day, regular cut. It was like it was a regular day. And so I sat that, down now, and I had my mask on. Around, oh, I'm Go sorry ahead. to cut you off. The barbershops that I, I, my, one of my mans is a barber. And um, when you first come in, he, he has the plastic Raptors things hanging from the ceiling to separate him from the next barber to the next. So it's almost like they're cutting. Nah, like, they didn't have none of that. And like they had none of that. And well, I did not okay. feel safe at all. So I get in the chair and then I'm like, bro, what is this? There was like, he just starts like touching on me and he has on gloves. But you know, since we all been getting our education and social distancing and cross-contamination, the first thing I'm thinking in my head is, okay, I don't think that, I don't think that this dude changed these gloves. Like, I think that you should probably be changing uh, your gloves. The same gloves on the whole thing. The same gloves. And he's like putting them on my face, moving my head back. And I'm just like closing my eyes so that he does not touch my eye and I don't get infected. And it's like, this is the worst experience ever. So, although Damn. I do have the crispy haircut, I immediately came home. And I doused like rubbing alcohol all over my face. <laughs> I took some soap and like washed it. And I was just like, that that fresh lineup was not worth it. So when you guys do return to the barbershops, be sure to, you know, coach your barbers along and say, hey man, can you can you switch your gloves? Can you can you spray your um your clippers with something new? Because some of these guys aren't taking it serious, and you don't want to end up in a situation like I did, where it's like I gotta get this this haircut, but I'm risking my life with Corona. So 
Um, and if you do, you might have to douse yourself in rubber alcohol to the face, like I did. So that was my my experience with that. Shout out to everybody. I, I know I just sent out the thing on IG. So if you guys are a little bit late, just walking in, me and Ace are just giving guys tutorials on how to get a proper Rona cut. Um, shout out to everybody that's joining us, though. We're going to go right into some questions, though. Um, Aisha just shared the most horrible barbershop experience like ever <laughs> that he doused his whole face. But shout out to Henry Ellison, Josh Banks, EG Gaming. Uh, Henry Ellison says, Ace and Zen, besides Joe Burrow, what rookie do you think is going to make an impact day one? Uh, for me, impact day one, I think that I would probably go with T. Higgins. I think that T. Higgins is going to have to be a part of this offense. And I think if they go possibly four or five wide, there's no way that you can't have him on the field. Like, And that's in including John Ross as well. I think that they're going to show some five wide looks. And, I mean, they have the tools, so why not show them? And I think that if he is your potential fourth option, there's going to be a lot of mismatches. So I think that T. Higgins, outside of Joe Burrow, T. Higgins will be my pick to make a, a first impact day one. Zim, who do you think? It's very. I, I want to elaborate on that because the Higgins thing. I think year one you might see a productivity similar to like. Why do I, I find myself referencing the Steelers on this show so much? But Deontay Johnson had a pretty. If you look at the raw numbers based on targets, had a pretty productive year, and it's somebody that I'm definitely looking at to see does he take the step uh, year two. One thing that I looked at, and if you look at um, PFF, is that currently. Uh, Tyler Boyd produced more yards in the slot than like any other receiver this past year. But the amount of targets that he got in the last two, three years is like 60 more than the next person, like just in the slot, like operating purely in the slot. I think year one, Higgins, I just don't see there being enough balls unless, pause, unless John Ross or someone just does not like some like an injury or something like that. And I and I don't even like speaking like that, but I just don't see I could see him being out there and I could see him impacting it, but just beating somebody fresh off the depth chart year one, I I'm I i do not know. But I, I would love to see it. If they're going five wide, like I would love to see it. And, and it's very possible. He has a talent level to to automatically he would start, he would be the number three for any other team in the NFL currently right now. So we'll see. But I think uh, year one, I'm going to go out on a limb. And I got to rep my guy like, I don't know how you would measure his productivity, but I got to go Akeem Davis-Gaither. I just feel like somebody somebody that I think is going to make so many plays year one is going to be Von Bell that everybody's just, he's going to be a Bengals favorite. Because one thing that the Bengals – have done is they've been a product, especially defensive-wise, I feel like they're always a product of a great system with Zimmer. And then it slowly declined. I felt I felt that um uh what's the kid? Paulie G. I said the kid, the guy. Paulie G, Coach Paulie G was very good at scheming up zone blitzes and different gap blitzes and stuff like that. So those were different staples. And you didn't have to be a phenomenal like playmaker. But one thing that the Bengals didn't have is like their Honey Badger. And I feel like Akeem Davis Gaither could be our, our Honey Badger. Year one, it might not look like 80 tackles, four picks, or anything like that. But I think he's always going to show up on your screen when he's in, whether it's special teams or it's on defense. 
um, in in dime looks early on. I just think that's the one thing. The when they drafted him, I stopped talking about um, what's the what's the guy I always I kept on saying I wanted the whole offseason, the safety, ha ha Clinton Dix. I immediately shut that off because Von Bell is a younger version of that, uh, and Akeem Davis Gaither is is a bigger linebacker. But that's the type of playmaking that's going to take the Bengals to the next level, and I think year one you'll see that. So that will be my pick. I'm a little biased because that just was my guy, like coming into the draft. Jermaine Pratt was my guy last year coming into the into the draft. So hopefully I, I'm I'm two for two on that. Like those are my two guys right there, and I, I'm really thinking that they're going to take a a big step. I think Akeem Davis Gaither. Absolutely, is gonna make plays year one. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you hit on because if I'm not mistaken, uh, Vegas has Akeem Davis Gaither as one of the favorites for defensive rookie of the year. I, I'm not saying that he's in top three, but I want to say that he's in the top 10 at least. I think he's like the eighth most favorite in terms of that. And you didn't see any of the other Bengals linebackers, so it seems that they Vegas might know something that we don't know yet. Um, obviously, like you said, there's other guys like Logan Wilson. Um, and Marcus Bailey. Marcus Bailey, I would just say, is a sleeper. I think that he could be a guy that could potentially get get some uh, some snaps early on. But it really depends on what the defense is going to look like. If we're if we are going to run with the five two front, or we do have a lot of linebackers playing at one time, it could be a lot of these guys. But I think Akeem Davis Gaither, like Zim said, is a honey badger kind of guy that you can move around the field, and I think that that's going to help him a lot and and make him. Um, more susceptible to be deployed more often than some of those other guys who may have some limitations. Of course, we're not talking Joe Burrow for anybody that didn't catch the beginning of the question. We're talking about immediate impact of rookie. Like we're not, of course, Joe Burrow is, I mean, that's, that's rookie of the year in my mind already. So we're saying outside of Joe Burrow in that question, if y'all missed the beginning of that question. And that goes into the follow-up. Does Joe Burrow win the Offensive Rookie of the Year? I'd, I'd have to believe so, oh, yeah. especially with him being a quarterback. You look at what Kyler Murray did last year, and he won the Offensive Rookie of the Year. I think that Joe Burrow has a better season in terms of more wins, and I think he possibly passes for more yards. And I think that's also nothing against uh, Kyler Murray, but I think it's the fact that Joe Burrow has more weapons at his disposal. He has a better team. Uh, when Kyler Murray took over those Cardinals, they were in a sense a rebuild. And I think that you'll see the Cardinals do a lot better this season because now he has DeAndre Hopkins. They're one of the most improved teams as well. But and, I think and they fixed that line. Exactly. They fixed the line as well. So I think that we, we will see, and there's a strong chance of Joe Burrow finishing as the offensive rookie of the year. Zim, what do you think about that? Uh, absolutely. Like I, somebody in the chat, I, I don't have it pulled up. Um, I'm a little tipsy. Uh, if you could do some work, work for me, some leg work, guys, go pull up the odds on Joe Burrow winning rookie of the year. Come pull that up because we're going to play some bets today. We're going to play some Joe Burrow rookie bet because for me, that's an easy bet. I don't know what the odds are, but let's see it. Somebody pull that up in the chat and I'm going to shout you out. So while we okay. have somebody pulling that up, it looks like Manista KEB says, does Mixon get his extension this offseason? Zen, what do you think about that? If he's smart, he needs to. Um, the only other running backs looking right now, I guess, are Dalvin Cook. And who is the other running back that's in that class that's with it? The market's kind of set. McCaffrey is not. He's, Cook is also in there as well, and they've been talking no, about that's what I said. Da- Dalvin Cook, and it's one more. Uh, you Fournette also have guy. Alvin Kamara, Fournette. Okay, okay. So I think the Bengals might wait 
on that and and the Bengals might probably use the Dalvin Cook one as you know like the measuring stick for because to me Kamar and McCaffrey are just two outliers that just don't have I don't I don't know but um yeah if Mitch is smart he would absolutely go do it take the nine ten million that the Bengals are willing to pay him that most teams probably aren't paying as the market as as time has gone by with all these different factors going on or whatever it's super risky to just bet on yourself and just play this upcoming year and not knowing what the future holds for the most part. And if I'm him, I, I just take – if I can get them to nine, ten million, I take it. And, and the Bengals would probably be one of the few teams that I think would just offer that, like, right now. Yeah, I think that you're right when it comes to that. I think we've heard from recent reports, and those reports are based off of people interviewing Duke Tobin. It seems that the Bengals are interested in keeping a guy like Mixon around. Uh, Duke Tobin has said that that's something that they do plan on doing. So it seems as if that the Bengals would be close. They haven't come to an agreement because obviously if that did happen, we would have some breaking news. But it does seem a lot better because about a month ago, there was there were reports coming out. Um, that were kind of confused because originally it was reported that Mixon was going to hold out. Then that kind of switched to the Bengals would be ready for a potential holdout. To now we're hearing things of both sides being close and, and getting closer to an agreement. So I think, like Zim said, we would like to see this done because, I mean, you've got everything that you need. And the most important thing, although the NFL may not view it the same way, is to have a running back that can support Joe Burrow um, as a rookie. So that is extremely important. So I do think that the Mixon uh, extension does get done this offseason. I think the A.J. Green one is being talked about. The one that we haven't heard anything about, any whispers or any pieces falling out, has been William Jackson III. So I would say that the Mixon one is likely. I think even the A.J. Green one is more likely. The only thing that I question is what happens with William Jackson III. Uh, so it looks like the odds actually were looked up thanks to you guys. And if you're listening to this, this podcast um, strictly on Spotify or iTunes or however you listen to your podcast, don't forget about the YouTube channel that we have here uh, with where we do this live. So if you're missing out and you want to participate in the comments, feel free to follow New Stripe City. Also, if you're looking to follow those IG lives with Zim and you want to give your input on that and hear some very good material and see some good news, follow him on Instagram at Zim underscore Huday. Um, hey, my my question for Davis Martin is: Who is the next person? If if uh, the odds that he said was two fifty, right? Mm-hmm. Who is the next person down there? Like, what's the next person? Like the the next cl- closest odd maker? Like like I mean, the next odds next to uh, Joe Burrow on that list? If he's two fifty to one, then who is next? That's what I want to know. It's like who did it? Who does Vegas think is a candidate? For rookie of the year, they think Chase Young is like a rookie of the year candidate with Joe Burrow. Like, I don't know because I, I would think it would be it should be offensive and defensive. So I wonder if it's Justin Herbert, if it's a running back. That, that could be one. It looks like looks like Jermaine Huff is asking who's the playmaker at tight end. For me, Jermaine, I think that it has to be CJ Uzoma. Um, to me, I think he's the best one. I'm not sold on Drew Sample. Uh, hopefully, he could take a step, but I think. The guy that's going to get the lion's share of the reps is is going to be CJ. What do you think, Zim? Bro, we got to go through these questions fast. These things are coming in like wow. I was yeah, they coming in. They coming in. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, CJ Uzoma for sure. I just don't. I think if you watch LSU's offense and and they asking Joe Burrow what are his ten best plays and all these different things like that, I just think the system that they originally came in with um, 
Zach utilizing a lot of the, the Sean McVay system, I think a lot of that stuff is just pretty much going to go to the trash. And I just think like the evolution of this, this spread them out five wide type of deal is happening. And the tight end, even if you're in five wide, even if you're in, let, let's not make this super complex. CJ Uzama is going to be the first up, like from a tight end position. And when we start talking about showing the same looks, doing a lot of play action stuff, I think that's where Drew Sample comes into play. But from a playmaker standpoint, I don't think you're ever going to get the production that you ever got from like an Eifert, even if they brought an Eifert-like talent in here next year or the year after. I just think the the offense, the way Joe Burrow operates and the way he does it, he's going to spread it out, but he's looking to make big plays. Right, I totally agree. It seems like the the second highest odds are Clyde Edward Alaire, which makes sense with him being in Kansas City in terms of the Vegas odds. But the next question from EG Gaming: Do you think the Bengals are a team that will shock the NFL? I personally believe EG that the Bengals will. Uh, I think a lot of people are sleeping on them. I think that we're going into, and maybe it's and maybe it's because I'm drinking the Kool-Aid from 2011. Because when I go back and look at that team at the time, a lot of people thought the Bengals were going to repeat going and winning four games. But a lot of people overlooked how much talent they had there, how much talent they brought in from the draft, and how much better the coaching staff was. I think that we have a similar thing here when you talk about certain pieces that were added from free agency. You talk about a lot of guys that came from winning cultures and winning teams and could be considered leaders from those other teams that came to this team. And then you talk about the biggest X factor, which is Joe Burrow. That is completely different. I mean, there's no one that has film on Joe Burrow unless you go back to LSU. So he's going to have that advantage, and the Bengals are going to have that advantage of having not only Joe Burrow, all of these weapons, A.J. Green. I could go on for days, but Zim, do you think that the Bengals are a team that will shock the NFL? For sure, I do. Um, and, part, and part of the reason was just look at the odds on – on. imagine – imagine. I don't know what the odds were on Kyler Murray winning rookie of the year, right? But let's say he was up there at the top. That's guaranteed. If, if I got a rookie of the year uh, quarterback candidate, I'm, I'm I'm at least banking on four wins, and that was an untalented Cardinals team. The talent alone on there now gives me another two wins. If you looked at anything from the you know from the other from last year or whatever, like all the games, the eight games that were within one score or whatever, and then I got the rookie of the year candidate with the talent that's already there. It would shock me if they if they if they just like went to the playoffs and just went crazy or something, that would shock me at. So I don't think that will be shocking on that level. But if you could get the eight and eight, you can make the playoffs with seven teams in, in the NFL now. So if that's, if, if that's what you call shocking, then I think that's very possible. It, it, but, but just on a every, on a week to week basis, the one thing I put this on my Twitter the other day, the one thing that's going to happen is offense. Like people don't understand how lackluster we've been on offense for the last three years. Cause the defense always gets put in my mind. I always, everybody always gets on me. I'm crying about how much um, the, everybody's like, the defense is terrible. I'm like, the offense just went three and out six times straight. Like, let's look at the offense. Like that happened for two years straight. Even in 2018, when Andy Dalton was doing really, really good in the red zone, it was so many limited possessions. They were last in possessions then. Right. So it puts so much pressure on the defense. This is the first year I think Bengals fans are going to go back to like 2005 type days and say, whoa, like 
they they're we're expecting to score. Like if we get on that opponent's side of the field, there's no way we're not coming away with three points. When's the last time you had a third and twelve as a Bengals fan and thought you could convert it? It's been a while. It's definitely been a while. So like we're talking shocking. I'm like every week it's gonna be fun. Right. Chad, right. like if, if they if they, we could get somebody to go to a locker room and start writing who they're gonna terrorize on uh, from a cornerback position from one of our wide receivers that that's Tyler Boyd or something like that, it's gonna be fun. Like we need somebody to really just be like, look, uh whoever Joe Hayden is gonna be corner today and we're gonna crush him and this is what's gonna happen. And we need that type of energy and followed up by just a lot of scoring and even win, lose, or draw. That alone, I think, is going to shock a lot of people. Just saying 28, 30 points from the Bengals every week, which they, on paper, seems like nothing. 28 seems like nothing on paper right now. But right. offensive line. So it looks like we got a couple of questions. So I'm going to do some quick fires here where we'll just alternate between me and them so that way you guys can at least get a response from one of us. If Ross has a good year, do you think that we would resign him? Um, no, I think that they try, but I don't think that they can do it. I, they can't keep AJ and Ross. Um, no, I have enough money. No, I have enough money. That, from, if, he, if he has a bad year, they give up on Ross. If he has a good year, they can't afford it. Right. Questions to the homies, Ace and Zen from JC. Let's just say the Bengals have a rough start and go one and six. Would you consider trading Ross Green, Dunlap, or Gino with that window closing? For sure. Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, if you go one and six, you have to hit the reset button. Uh, next we have, did the Bengals open their facility yesterday, today? I think that they actually tomorrow. opened them a couple. Oh, they opened them tomorrow. All right. Perfect. It was supposed to be sad with the, the, the tweet that came out from, um, what's your Tyler Dragon said that they were going to open up on Saturday or something. I read into it a little bit further and I think they were just preparing as if they were going to open, but I think officially it's opening up tomorrow. Someone can correct, correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm talking Today is May 19th, opening up May 20th. All right. It looks like, JC, we got that one answered for you. Let's see. Jeremy Hall asks, Jeremy Hall asks, how do you think the running back position shakes out this year? I think it's Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard as usual. Maybe there's a third guy that enters that argument, whether that's Jacquez Patrick or Rodney Anderson, who I'm really excited about. But it seems with the Bengals signing all of these running backs, how confident are they in them? Zen, what do you think? Same. All right. Chat is going crazy, JC. Chat is I going crazy. <laughs> we appreciate all of this love. Um, let me see. I think this is similar to what we kind of talked about. Uh, Nova is asking if Ross balls out, would it be bad to let AJ go? We basically replace him with Higgins and then we have Ross who will probably be cheaper and bored. I feel like that's a good scenario for us. That's an interesting one. Zen, what do you, what do you think about that? I just, for me, that's a very complex uh, question to ask because I think if AJ starts to have a good season, like with three games in, I, see with the franchise tag, I, I've been told that you can't uh, negotiate the deal during the season. And that's the one thing that if, if they could negotiate during the season, say he goes crazy three games in, it's a no brainer. You go AJ Green. But if they don't have that luxury, Ross starts to ball out. I just don't see Ross as an AJ Green replacement ever. And, and even if he hit the open market, even though I'm saying I don't think the Bengals can afford him, I just don't see a scenario where somebody's giving like $12, $14 million to John Ross based on his injury position. So to me, Ross could never be an AJ Green replacement. 
could you try to keep him? Sure. But he'll never be a number one receiver. Like, never. I, and, and I'm the biggest Raw fan. Right, AJ, right. Let AJ go? Yeah, but the reason why I let AJ go is because of Higgins and AJ Green's injuries, not because of Raw's balling out. If right, definitely, sense. definitely. Uh, do you think Bobby Hart is good enough to start at right tackle? I think that Bobby Hart is good enough. I mean, if you look down, as much criticism as Bobby Ooh. Hart gets, you have to look at how he ended the season. And you have to also remember, when you're talking about the tackle positions, that he had nothing across on the opposite side from him. It seems like once the left tackle position kind of stabilized, he started to play better. Um, now, I mean, I'm not an offensive lineman. I probably should have asked this to Willie Anderson because obviously he has that insight. But it seems like there was a correlation to how he played when the left tackle was established and got better in terms of Cordy Glenn getting there and Fred Johnson getting there, um, how it affected him. But it seems like Jeff Hobson is saying that there could be a competition brewing between uh, Bobby Hart, Hart and Fred Johnson and training camp. Zim, what do you what do you think? I would love to see Fred Johnson. Again. I, the, the question is, can he be a starting right tackle? Absolutely. He's proved that he can be a starting right tackle in the NFL. Can he be an exceptional right tackle? No, he cannot. I feel like he's probably peaked as far as like Bobby Hart can go. I think the improv from Joe Burrow and just making moves in the pocket and different things like that allow you to have an average or just above average lineman all across the board except left left tackle. Every right-handed quarterback needs an elite left tackle, in my opinion. But from the right tackle position – yeah, I mean, he, he can play it, and he can start, and I think he'll have good games, and he'll probably have some bad games. And would he be at the bottom of the NFL? That's for 2020 season to tell us, I guess. But I don't think he'll ever be like a stalwart at the position. But, you know, I'm, I'm not All a – right, so thank you guys. Thank you guys for, for being here with us. We're going to take one more question before we get out of here. Come on, um, let's take two so- more. We'll take two more. If Zen wants to take two more, we'll take two. Um, but what I was going to say is uh, be sure to follow us uh, on iTunes or whatever platform that you're on. You listen to podcasts. We're under the Cincy Jungle Syndicate. Uh, the name of that podcast is Cincy Jungle. So some people may get us confused and, and look for Orange is the New Black. It's actually under Cincy Jungle. So be sure to subscribe there and definitely leave us a review. We, we truly appreciate it. We saw some crazy numbers come in. Uh, glad to announce that we were a top 50 podcast in the United States. So not just for Cincinnati Bengals content, but we were up there with the big dogs. Um, so definitely thanks uh, to you guys for supporting that. JC is asking the question. I kind of did a video on this because I, I feel strongly about this, but I've never thought about this question from this standpoint. And he asked, would you rather have Larry Warford or Joe Mixon? And the reason I never thought about that is because I honestly feel like the Bengals have enough money to sign to Larry Warford to do the A.J. Green. But if you had to pick one. Him. But you had to pick one. Jeff Hobson came out and said that the Bengals would have to either cut somebody or find a way to come up with that cap space in order to sign someone like Larry Warford. Um, For me, this, this is a tough one. This is a very good question. Um, But I think when you, when you think about it from, if I'm putting my GM hat on 
and I'm thinking about it from a youth perspective. Larry Warford is a guy that's turning 29 next season. Although he is a guard, uh, potentially he's going to be out of the league faster than someone like Joe Mixon would because Joe Mixon is, if I'm not mistaken, only 21 years old right now. But the thing is, no, no, this guy has a pro Joe Mixon's like 24. Is he 23? I think he's 23. He came into the league at 20. I think he's... Yeah, that's my bad. He's 23. You're right, because he came into the league at 20. He's been in the league now for three seasons. Um, actually, you know what? If it were if it were up to me, given that this guy's a Pro Bowl guard, I would probably go with Larry Warford just because he's a guard and he can have a huge impact on Joe Burrow. But if I'm just going for youth and I want to go for a guy who has a higher ceiling, from now until possibly, let's just say, 28, 29, I'm going to go with Joe Mixon. But I don't feel like you can find a Pro Bowl guard like that. And I think that the Bengals have had so many issues there. Uh, when you look at Michael Johnson, who they're they're kind of committed to, they're trying to grow with him. And then you got Xavier Suofilo. Like when you look at it from that, when you look at it from that aspect, the drop-off is tremendous from Larry Warford to Suofilo or Michael Jordan. The drop-off from Joe Mixon to Giovanni Bernard, although Joe Mixon is easily the better player, it's not as it's not as much of a drop-off. Now, Gio's a different type of running back. He might not be a guy that could shoulder the load, but I think that you would have more of an impact if Larry Warford joins that offensive line in front of Joe Burrow. Zim, what do you think? I got to go Larry Warford all day because even if you look at the draft, I believe in mixing like like you would you wouldn't believe, but I know I can go get me a Joe Mixon second round next year and the year after that and the year after that and a guy that can fill in. As long as the holes are there, then the product the productivity will be there as well. Larry Wolford doesn't represent I I, I guess maybe from a, a Bengal scouting position and just playing like you said, the GM hat. I just think that's the one area that they struggle to identify, like, who's going to be on the cups of greatness, I guess, from the offensive line standpoint, or they haven't valued the guard. So maybe it's a bit of the fandom in me that just says, I just want them to get an elite offensive line, and then I feel like I can always go get me a Joe Mixon-level talent. And, and I just don't believe in paying running backs a whole lot of money, and I just think the shelf life of him is just way shorter. And just it's just a value thing. Joe Mixon is here as far as, like, his star quality, what he brings to the team and everything like that. But I just think the shelf life of a running back is just here. And if I already have a proven Pro Bowl guard sitting there right in my face at a good price, I got to go with Larry Walford as much as I love Mixon because I just – Clyde, well, I mean, where did Clyde Edwards get drafted? We talk about him as a rookie of the year candidate. It was a second round pick, or was he at the, the very end of the first, at the 32nd very pick? Very end something? of the first. Very end but of I, the first. But I mean, but th there was a million dudes. I, I love Cam Akers. I think he went to the Panthers or something like in the second or third. I, I think Cam Akers is the the next war done level talent. You know what I'm saying? So right. I could get right, I could go get two running backs like we just did the past year. And I just feel like maybe they might not be mixing. But I think if you look at the Steelers and they get James Conner like level talent and, and you got a really good line, they get a thousand yards from all those guys. And James Conner is a bump. Right, right. So we have another question. It looks like we got some love coming in from Facebook. Um, so we're streaming this simultaneously between Facebook and YouTube. And it looks okay. like Heather Poor 
is asking, what are our thoughts on Auden? And I'm thinking that she's talking about Auden Tate. I love Auden Tate. I think that Auden Tate is just a walking highlight reel. Um, the downside of us drafting T. Higgins is oh. it pretty much comes down to those two guys in terms of who's going to get snaps here or there. I hope that Auden Tate still has a defined role on this team. I know that last year he played uh, more special teams, which he hasn't really done in the past. But I think Auden Tate is not a guy to sleep on. When Auden Tate is your fifth receiver, that just talks to how stacked um, – your uh, wide receiving core is. This is a guy on the flip side when you talk about other teams in the division. He had as much, if not more, receiving yards than Marquise Brown. So you can't sleep on Auden Tate. He's a walking highlight reel. He's mossing everybody on, on every play, um, and he's amazing. Uh, before we get out of here, I'm going to do, a, I'm gonna do one more crazy. one. Where did all these people come from? It did get crazy. It did get crazy. If y'all listen, uh, if you listen to this podcast, we were just chilling and had a good amount of people, but then the floodgates just opened up when they heard that we're about to end the show or something for some crazy reason. Next question says, did, Should we did. move Jonah Williams to right tackle and put Fred Johnson on the left? No. You can go to the next question. <laughs> next question is, do you guys believe in Zach as a play caller? Is what Dre's asking. Should he be on a short lease this year? I'm going to say, I'm going to say one of the things that I talked about was that Zach is a head coach. The one thing that I will give him the benefit on the doubt of is that he does make adjustments. If he sees something isn't working properly, then he, he comes up with a plan and he executes a way to change that. I personally thought he was overwhelmed with worrying about too many things last season. Like when he, one thing that sticks out to me is when we all saw him go on the sideline and get in the huddle with the linebackers because no one was making a play. That, to me, showed that he needed to be a part of other aspects of the team. Now, it's already come out that he's still going to call plays. Uh, he's going to implement things from the LSU offense, which I'm glad to hear uh, he's going to do. And I think that we have to give him a fair chance with, with Joe, right? This is his guy. It's going to be his offense with Joe Burrow's touch on it. And I think we at least need to see that. But I am, I'm also a proponent of if he continues to struggle in that area, there's no, there's no uh, reason why he can't give that off to Brian Callahan or, or let someone else handle the actual play calling or in-game play calling. Maybe he can be the guy that found, does like the final override. But those are my thoughts on that. Zim, what do you think? I I never I was telling somebody this after the season. I never really had a problem with his his play calling abilities. Now, is that is a strong point currently right now? I wouldn't say yeah. I think that all the the play calling responsibilities should be relinquished to Brian Callahan, in my opinion, and let Zach be able to manage the everyday rigors of being a a, a, a coach in the National Football League. If his input and going into game plans and all that stuff still be a big part of it. But I think on game day, Brian Callahan should be the play calling person. John Gruden really, really spoke really highly of him and really, really loved the fact that he just loved his mind. And he was really upset. I remember when Brian Callahan left and it, as the beat writers talked to Brian, Brian Callahan, as you listen to Brian Callahan and he's locked in with the playbook. And I feel like Zach Taylor could set can have so many other roles as a mentor for Joe Burrow, being able to manage the team, be able to handle all the PR stuff, be able to answer all your AJ Green questions, all these different things that a head coach has to worry about. 
And that doesn't mean that at halftime he doesn't get to go in there and say his adjustments. That doesn't mean that he doesn't do what a head coach does. But I think Brian Callahan, in my opinion, should have the head play calling coaching responsibilities. I mean, just I'm, I say here, just play calling responsibilities. And then along the way, Zach Taylor kind of put his input in. That's what I would do if I were the Bengals. But I, I didn't think that yeah. he did a terrible job. I just think it was a lack of playmakers and a lack of execution in a lot of different spots. I never really walked away from him thinking like, whoa, he's scared as hell to call that. Or what is he thinking there? Like, I didn't, I don't really, re- somebody hit me up with those plays or something like where he's calling a sweep on fourth and two or something like that. Like, give me something, like, give me some examples of that. I didn't, I just didn't see that. And I think we saw some great play calling when you look at the, the Seahawks game. He has, he definitely had some, some moments where he threw out some wrinkles that were interesting when John Ross was healthy. And London, London, he came, London, as well. London, he adjusted their whole run game on the fly. They came out and ran the ball down their throat and did, did everything that he that that a head coach is supposed to do and a play caller. If you want to see, like they didn't win the game, but as far, and they were outmatched by a better team. But from a play calling standpoint, like he put them in a lot of good positions. And even if you look at the even if you look at the crazy Dolphins game, the plays that he called, although a lot of it was like. A lot of it had to be a lot of luck involved with it, but he picked matchups, the Eifert touchdown, and all these different things like that. Those boy that's touchdowns. A, that's, a, right. that's a that's a that's a product of Dalton and just pre-snap knowing what to go to. And I like if you go go back and watch that Dolphins game on the comeback throughout the whole game, everybody was super super lethargic. But as we got to like that 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 fourth quarter. There was some alignments just from a formation standpoint and plays that were called that work. Right. I don't know. Right. He it's, absolutely it's tough to say. I, I think and Zim touched on like that. Bills game. Like, go back and look. Yeah, like, if y'all got time, go on you. The Bills game, they should have won that game so easy. And that, that really was just bad play, the quarterback play. And then the best, the better quarterback that day ended up with the ball and made a play. But Dawn had so many chances in that game. So many open reads, so many different things like that. Bills game like kills me when I see that. The Jaguar game is the same way. Those are two games that good play caller. I'm sorry, that's my opinion. yeah. I have to, I have to, I have to give you guys that for sure. Shout out to Cincinnati kid going hard in the comments. We appreciate that. He says today yes, and to smash that like button. Um, one thing that that Zim talked about earlier when we were talking about. With the Bengals shock the season, he talked about people not realizing, you know, how limited this offense has been from a scoring perspective. And I have to agree with them. And, and I mentioned this again. I went back to 2011 and I watched that season and it was crazy to see how great the play calling was from Jay Gruden. Like, I would just love to see that again because it was so fun, especially once once you see how he used A.J. Green how he used Andrew Hawkins once he came in in that season. Like, they were lining Andrew Hawkins up in the backfield and throwing shovel passes to him out of the backfield and just letting him do his thing. They were running A.J. Green on reverses multiple times throughout the season. Now, with A.J. being the guy that he is now, you probably wouldn't want to do that. But, I mean, just the creativity would be something that I would I would like to see uh, Zach used this year. And I think like Zim said, there were instances where that play calling was used. You referenced the Bills game, the Dolphins game. Someone in here said that the Patriots game, he had some good play calls, the Rams game. So I think Zach definitely has that in him. I just think 
at that point in the season, he was kind of limited. When you have a lot of injuries and you don't have a guy like A.J. Green there, you don't have a guy like Jonah Williams blocking, that changes your playbook. Um, especially after, like I said, when John Ross went down, the play calling got extremely limited because your receivers were limited. Uh, but I think that Tyler Boyd flourished, and so I think that we'll be able to see Zach really put his imprint on it um, as well. Yep. And a shout out to Nova. He said that he's wearing a Burrow Baby shirt right now. If you want to get you a Burrow's Baby jersey, patch, stickers, whatever you want, go to ZemHooday.com to become a yes, Burrow sir. Baby today and get your Man. merch. Somebody asked, does Ace have an Instagram page? Yes, it is New Stripe City. So if you're in this YouTube right now and you're looking at it or whatever, please make sure you go follow him on Instagram. It's New Stripe City, the exact same way that we're spelling it directly on this YouTube. Follow me on Instagram, too, at Zemhude as well. Like he said, if you want a Burroughs Baby um, shirt, uh, I got Burrow Baby's mask. Just go to Zemhude.com. They are really lit. They're like the off-white version of a Bengals fandom. Like, I feel like there's some stylish stuff going on here. So you need to get one. Uh, on top of that, me and Ace are both ambassadors for, for Fanatics. So if you're looking for Bengals gear, don't just go to Fanatics.com. Follow the link. Support your local Bengal dealer. We got really good stuff. It's all authentic. It's the same stuff. From the Fanatics website. It is the Fanatics website because we've partnered up with them. So Ace drops his link in here. I have mine on my Instagram page or whatever, but buy directly from us if you're going to go get Bengal stuff anyway. And when you go on there, you're going to see that we have uh, promo codes, discount codes on there all day, every day. So you might get extra additional sales that you wouldn't get if you went straight to Fanatics.com or NFL.com. But for sure, you need to get all of your gear and get ready for the season with us like that. Make sure you follow all of our um, – listen to all of our podcasts on the, on, on our uh, Cincy Jungle uh, Syndicate. You got the um, Orange, um, Orange Insiders. Orange and Black Insider. And then we yep. also have Matt Minnick's Chop Talk. We also have – sorry if I spit when I speak with, uh, with Daddy O. So, yeah, definitely check us out. And then we have to – uh, we picked up another sponsor. If you guys have been listening, you probably heard about the Bad Boys Club. Shout out to the Bad Boys Club for sponsoring this show. And if you're a local business or you need to reach an audience or you need to be uh, reaching a wide audience that has a podcast like this that's in the top 50 where you're going to reach thousands of listeners, um, be sure to hit me and Zim up on Twitter. You can hit me up at New Stripe City. You can hit him up on Twitter at Zim Hude. We will take any kind of inquiries and we'll put together a nice package for you. But shout out to the Bad Boy Sponsorship. If you haven't, Check them out. Be sure to check them out. They offer a lot of dating advice, some cool things um, that they have from that aspect for guys that um, are looking to, you know, do what you can do when it comes to the ladies. So if you get you some ladies, guys, you're going to need some ladies this season. You can't be a burrow baby going to games and like, hey, I'm going to check out the Bengals. But you ain't got no girl to go home to when you get home or vice versa or anything like that. Get your ladies up. Get that. This is burrow season. I mean, when you come out of the quarantine, they're going to be ready, bro. Who they? Who they? All right. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Orange is the New Black Podcast. We're out. Who that?